Hi, everybody. Mike Mirando back with you for part two of our interview with Max Miller. You know, we have to devote an extra hour, Coach, to uh, your storied career, which spans more than 40 years. Uh, for those of you listeners, we covered Cordova High School a couple of weeks ago. Coach Joe Davidson at the B wrote something that's very poetic. All you do is motivate, teach, and win. How do you do it? Well, it starts with uh, great administrative staff, um, great coaching staff, and I obviously great, great, great kids and parents. I always had great support. I'm very, very, we were talking earlier, um, tremendous support, um, you know, to where, you know, when you, you have a structured program and you have the discipline that we have in all the programs uh, for the kids to buy in, which they did, um, I was very lucky. I was, it was a blessing for me. We're back with Max Miller, the longtime football coach and baseball. We're going to get into that in a moment uh, here in town, who not only found success at uh, Cordova High School, but several other schools as well. And Max, I want to pick up our conversation. Let's go back to El Camino, your days at El Camino High School when you were the baseball coach over there. And all you did was win three seasons, three CVC titles. Your teams won more than 70 games. Uh, in particular, the 1974 team. You ran out to an 11-0 start, beat Cordova twice in yeah. the early going, and never looked back. What were some of the keys that year? Well, you know, it was different. Uh, we, I only carried 13 guys on that team. Uh, that's what was amazing. But the three pitchers I had were all very athletic, and they could play first base within the outfield when they weren't pitching. So we didn't have a lot of room uh, for extra players. But you know, we, we just had a, a run of great kids. You know, Butch Edge was uh, the first number one draft pick out of Sacramento. Um, we had, you know, guys like Marshy, he who was in the Dodger organization, and Dana Johns, who went to Tulsa and was in the St. Louis Cardinal organization, Jeff Hansen uh, in right field, uh, got drafted by... Um, I'm not, I'm not sure who it was, but he went to Nebraska on a football scholarship and actually was on the cover of Sports Illustrated hitting Billy Sims, uh, causing a fumble. He was a great athlete. All those kids on that team were, were fantastic students and, and great players. And uh, uh, it was just three years of uh, having a lot of fun coaching baseball and, and being involved uh, at El Camino as an Eagle because they have great tradition there. You mentioned the other pitchers besides Butch Edge. I know that Dave Clayson comes oh. to mind, big lanky, 6'3 right-hander. Yeah, who he went had, to Sac State. Yeah, had electric fastball, uh, Les Matarazzi. Les Matarazzi, he, he came in. He was like a, a short relief guy today. He'd come in and pitch the seventh inning if the guys had pitched too many, thrown too many pitches. But he was a starter against certain teams. And, um, man, I mean, we just uh, – we had Rick Haycock in center and – uh, Steve Wright now at third base. Uh, wow, we and all those pitchers played first. You know, if they, you know, we had two great catchers, Jeff Buchanan and and uh, Gary Sadie. It was really a good. It was a those great are run. two all-star catchers. Oh yeah, I mean were... Buchanan. I was reading some numbers on him. Nobody wanted to run against that kid. At one time, he threw out ten straight runners. Yeah, he had a, he had a great arm, and uh, he was also a good hitter. And of course. All those kids went to played little league together, uh, even the Rio kids and the El Camino kids. So, 
they all knew each other really well. It just depended when they made the division of where they had to live in those days. They had boundaries, and and uh, so that's where they ended up. But um, yeah, it was it was a great group of kids and great parents, and and uh, really, Doctor Abbott was the principal there at El Camino. And I'll tell you, back in those days on Friday, uh, the faculty guys, the men wore a green El Camino tie and the ladies wore a green dress. That was the deal. And uh, he was a real, you know, Abbott Field there at El Camino. He, he was, sure, had a lot of respect, you know, spent 35 years at the school as a principal. You know, you brought up uh, Dana Johns, probably one of the better pure hitters that the Sacramento area has ever seen. I watched that kid spray hits to right, left, center. It didn't matter where the pitch was, he could hit it. Uh, how valuable is he? I believe he hit over 400 a senior year. Yeah, he, but you know, he was, uh, you know, he was really a great outfielder. He was fast. He led our team with stolen bases, and he went to Tulsa and uh, played three years and and uh, hit the ball really well too. But I mean. He, he was, all those kids, and they got along so well, they were so competitive. They were very competitive. You brought up the Little League aspect, and back then, I know District 5 and District 7, the boundaries kind of overlapped a little bit. That was back before we had uh, really the pro proliferation of, of, uh, of kids that we had in the years following. But a lot of those kids ended up playing Legion ball. They played senior babe, uh, travel teams, yeah. uh, got to know each other. Uh, which was kind of cool. Very similar in proximity to Rancho Cordova in terms of, of, of that, but uh, those kids had a group of uh, teams in their own right that were fabulous. Oh, yeah. They, 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 and, and at that same time, Rio Americano had great baseball team. Mira Loma had really good baseball team. They were all Bella Vista, Del Campo. That, that league uh, was really tough, and then there was Cordova. And um, th there wasn't a lot of teams in the city. Kennedy and uh, Johnson were fairly competitive, but not to that group, not, not, not uh, to that group of uh, teams. Yeah, back then, uh, the CVC, Capital Valley Conference. It was tough. The schools that you just talked about, uh, El Camino, Miraloma, Bella Vista, always had, had really solid teams. They always had super enrollments, too. Yeah. A lot of kids that was back in Sacramento high schools. Uh, Sacramento County High School's yeah. heyday. Every Friday night at Abbott Field, there would be eight, 9,000 people there. And those Miraloma El Camino football games were were, big would, time. would yeah. pack it out, too. But getting back to baseball, that year, you, of course, had mentioned but Butch Edge. Uh, you still keep in contact with him. Yeah. Yeah, I just talked to him uh, last Tuesday and Wednesday. Unfortunately, we I had one of our better young men uh, pass away. Uh, Tommy Scott was our starting left fielder, and uh, Butch, they were really tight, so Butch called me and, and uh, wanted to know if I was going to be over there, which I was, and, and so he called. He was like in Kansas. He's in the trucking business, and uh, God gave him a chance to talk to Tommy, and great group of guys. We, we meet every uh, July in my backyard that, and have a, a big picnic with that, that group of guys. And Is that right? They have a big reunion coming up July 19th, and we're going to have a special uh, event for Tommy Scott. Yep. That is neat. And Tommy was uh, just a tremendous ball player. Yes, he was. He was, he, was a, a, he was a great ball player, great competitor because he was such a little dude. He's about 5'7", 135, 40 pounds. And 
funny guy. Well, know. he had command of the plate. I think one year he was second in the league in walks. Yeah, uh, pretty fast. Nobody could pick him off. Yeah, he was a he was, he was a great competitor, and all all his teammates just loved him. He was a great guy. Those three years at El Camino, your teams won, I believe, uh, 75 or 76 games, uh, three CVC titles. Mm -hmm. Each year it was somebody different. Uh, you had Butch Edge the, the one year, and, of course, Matarazzi came out of the bullpen, was a starter for you a lot. Uh, he was one of those guys that I recall you'd bring him in in the seventh inning one day, two days later you'd start him. Then three days after that he was playing first base and doing other things. There seemed to be a lot of role players. That, uh, that fit the bill for you. Yeah, those pitchers all were capable of playing either first base uh, or in the outfield. They'd play left field, first base, or pitch. Yeah, they were all all good athletes. They weren't they were not spending too much time in the dugout because we had uh, we only carried thirteen guys, so it was good. A lot of high school baseball teams back then kept fourteen, some fifteen. You kept thirteen. Was there a, uh, a strategy to that? I know. Those, that was one of the few sports that actually had cuts. Yeah, Most teams it, it, would go out 30, 40, 50 kids for baseball back then. It had yeah. to have been tough. Yeah, that kind of got me out of baseball in a lot of ways. You know, I, I, I hated to see the expression on the kid's face when, when you had to make a cut, you know. And uh, it, it was no fun. That part of coaching baseball, to me, is no, is no fun. Because mm -hmm. uh, even when I was at Cordova, Coaching baseball uh, back in the in the '60s, we had some great teams, and I was cutting kids that would start for any other team sure. without a doubt. And and the same thing um, at at uh, Rio um, or at El Camino. So, and I even had the opportunity to coach my youngest son uh, when I was at Rio uh, on the freshman baseball team. I coached it one year because I wanted to coach my youngest son, Chris. But I hated, I hated cut kids and and because that game the kids love. If I could, if if they could, but they all want to play, you know. So sure. you got 25, 30 guys on your team, and you can only play nine, you know. But if I had to do it all over again, and they all sign a contract, say, "Coach, I know I'm not going to play, but I want to be on the team," I'd do it. Right. I would have done it. Yeah. How important is at that level? How important is desire over athletic ability? I mean, you've seen the movie, Rudy, somebody who's short on athletic ability but has a thousand times desire. Did you have any kids like that who maybe made the team uh, because of sheer desire and had a little bit of talent? How did that yeah, work? I think Tommy Scott was kind of that way. He was a battler, a grinder every day, worked on, you know, um, hitting the ball because he was a natural outfielder. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he was left-handed. And, uh, but, all you know, if you take a look at kids that play baseball they, they know what they have to work on you know it's a crazy game and uh you know infielders can't get enough ground balls you know nobody can ever get enough of hitting you know if they had 10 cuts or 12 cuts and they were they they wanted that ball thrown over someplace where they could they could hit it you know sure so uh it's a, it's a great game it's a highly skilled game and there's always something that you can work on uh, as a baseball player. But kids love baseball um, that play it. There's a lot of guys that can't, that can't play the game. They want to get in the box and have somebody throw the ball up there 80, 90 miles an hour, you know. Uh, it takes a special kid to play that game of baseball. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful sport. Um, 
I, I'm a big diehard Giant fan, and so I'm I'm uh, I got that season ticket I got at home right behind home plate. And Is that never, right? Yeah, I never miss a game. Oh wow! But uh, that's at home. My seat, my tickets yes. are you know at the north. But it's a great game, for, and anybody that played the game just like you, you know, um, it's just a and it's a wonderful experience for kids because in those days back, you go back into the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. The kids, uh, after school, they were out playing baseball somewhere. Even in the park, if they were lucky, or they'd find a place, they'd play in the backyard and make their own home plate and do that. But um, uh, today, you, you don't see a lot of kids in the park playing ball. You just don't. I, I don't understand it. Um, and I don't think that the baseball at high school level today um, – is as good as it was back in the 70s and 80s. Everybody well, knows. as you know, Sacramento was a baseball town. Yeah. Really, really as far back as the late 1940s. Mm-hmm. 1940s, 50s, through the 60s and 70s. Sacramento and Solons. You bet. We had the Sacramento Solons, two iterations of the Solons. Yeah. There, uh, of course, at Edmonds Field and then at, at uh, a Hughes Stadium in the mid-70s, yeah. which was a interesting experience. Joe Gordon, yes. black laminated bat. Absolutely. He was one of my heroes when he played second base for the Cleveland Indians. Is that right? You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah baseball is a great game. You know, even at uh, uh, when you go to Edmonds Field, my dad, we grew up in Grass Valley. We used to drive down to see the Solons play. and uh, Or sometimes my mom would go down to, to Roos Atkins to, to shop. Roos Atkins, there's yeah, the name. To downtown Sacramento, and you'd see Tony Kester in the window announcing the games uh-huh. and, you know with his little sticks and you know there's a line drive to left field and tony kester was a fabulous announcer oh my gosh he was the life of the solons that's for sure you bring up Roos atkins i'll never forget who was it was it lon simmons that always uh would uh, would do commercials for yeah. Roos atkins either on television or uh, or on the radio and i'm sure for a lot of us older guys we remember Roos atkins as yeah. the premier men's clothier in town yep uh, how has the game changed in, in, in your opinion, baseball, that is, uh, from then to now? Uh, from a high school standpoint. From the high school yeah. step, standpoint, um, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure uh, how many uh, head baseball coaches today are on campus. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, the head baseball coaches were always on campus teaching. I know you're a big proponent of full-time coaches having – Full-time teaching jobs, teaching jobs on campus for accountability reasons. Yeah, yeah. With students, uh, not just football, but that transcends other sports as well. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure, you know, I, the, the, maybe it's just uh, the era that I was coaching that, I mean, there were some really good baseball coaches. And, of course, Cordova had, you know, Coach Anderson. But uh, a lot of other schools were, were really talented because of the coaching, you know, Jerry Kaiser spent his entire career at Rio. And uh, there were just so many coaches uh, in the city. The city had good baseball teams, McClatchy and Kennedy. Oh, and, yeah, Bernie Church. Oh, yeah. those And those guys were there. They were diehards. They stayed on their campus. And Jerry Conway built a great program at Burbank and then went down to consume this river. But. I'm just not sure why the – I just don't understand why the baseball 
uh, has, to me, there's been some outstanding players, no question about it, especially out of like, you know, Rockland, uh, Webb has uh, done a t- tremendous job, and then Davis for the Giants uh, from the Elk Grove area. But it just doesn't—I I just I can't put my finger on it. Well, why? I just don't think they play start playing early enough. I don't know. Well, that uh, that may be. Uh, you brought up Guy Anderson. I know you two have been friends for seems like fifty, maybe sixty years. When oh, yeah. you were coaching baseball, he was at Cordova. Did you guys ever talk strategy or? Uh, well, yeah. When I started off at Cordova, Guy was my assistant on the coaching JV baseball. Yeah. You know, and I knew when I left Cordova that first time to go to Costa Mesa, I mean, I talked to the administration. I said, "You got to let Guy take this job, man. That guy." He, I think he lives with the fungal bat and the ball in his bed, you know. He actually did. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> At least that's uh, what he told me a, once. He's a diehard baseball guy, and, it, and we talked this morning about his picture in the Buffalo magazine. You know? Sure, but, sure. Yeah, we talked baseball, gosh, after practice all the time. We'd sit down to, talking about kids and what we needed to cover in practice. And our philosophy is kind of funny. I used to coach uh, sliding head first. I didn't, I, I was always afraid of the hook slide of ankle injuries and legs. And so I coached the head first. So you're a proponent, an early proponent, proponent of head first. Sliding. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even the, even the first base. And, uh, so I would demonstrate in the gym because, you know, it's smooth and you can't get hurt and the kids liked it. And, uh, now, uh, you'll see most of your pro ball players with a glove on their left hand so that when they slide, they're gonna be able to get onto that base, and uh, they could, they don't they don't go le- with their legs very much no, unless very it's a double play ball. Don't. We're back with Max Miller, longtime baseball and football coach uh, in the Sacramento area. Ma- Max, I want to also pick up our conversation about your years after El Camino. You went to Rio Americano, where yes. you were the athletic director for a number of years, and also the head football coach. Uh, over there you had some great teams and great players that you coached there once again blessed with great talent but then again that's got to be a reflection on the coach well I had a great again I had a great staff and uh, great administrators uh, just just a great group of people and the parent support at Rio Americano was uh, really way beyond what most guys can experience they were just uh Happened to be an era where their kids were playing. They wanted to be involved. And and uh, Ken Simus was the president of our football booster club, but he was involved with baseball also because his, his boys played for me. His older son, Mark, who was president of Mark, uh, Simus Floor Company, and John John Simus. But, yeah, the, the parents were great and the kids were great. The faculty was great. The principal was, the principals were super guys. Lloyd Snelson, especially, he was a diehard Sac- Sacramento Hornet guy and uh, he, he loved football. Um, yeah, I, I had a wonderful career at Rio and, and uh, the, the, they started, they made these football programs, which I showed you today, that had, uh, Two two hundred uh, boosters on the back page of our football program. That I'm sitting here looking at this program, uh, folks. It's dated 1975. This is the, an official football program. It looks like a pro program. Oh, yeah, it's, it's they, they on had the back each... of it. There's got to be at least 350, maybe 400 names of individual parents, businesses, uh, yeah. all the way through this thing in I color. Mean, 
Yeah, in color. Yeah. This is 40, 40 years ago, yeah. a, uh, a pro-style program. I don't think you'll find a high school that had a program like that. No, no. And it's a funny thing, too, see. So when the last uh, Simon's kids graduated, they probably haven't had a program like that. I know they haven't because um, uh, I've followed the, the program because my granddaughter is uh, part of the song leaders. She's the captain of the song leader team, Leslie, or excuse me, not Leslie, uh, Reese, Reese Miller, and she'll be a senior at Rio. Very good, very good student, but they don't even, some of these schools don't even have programs anymore. Well, it takes someone to do something like exactly this. I know right. you're also a big proponent of going out to the community, knocking on doors, knocking on these businesses, and basically hitting them up for sponsorship, and it paid here. Yeah, it uh, takes it takes time, and, and uh, those those business people, a lot of them were parents of their, their kids were playing, but uh, I, I think if, you know, if you go out in the community and you're a coach and you introduce yourself and you, most of those business guys, they, they want to help you out in any way they can, but you just got to make the contact. I mean, at Cordova today, my goodness, all, all the business development uh, south of uh, Folsom Boulevard, it's a gold mine. It is. It's a ripe, uh, a ripe opportunity for their for their football program. No question. Uh, getting back to Rio, you had Bob Weigel, which we briefly talked about, uh, who you built at one time as the greatest back in the United States. In fact, he <laughs> called me at the newspaper office and said, you need to come down here, take a look at this kid. Uh, he's uh, one of the best backs in the U.S. You had a quarterback, Rick Smith, yeah. who I understand now is a president of a local bank. Uh, tell me how special that group was. And you also had Trevor Manage as well. Now, those guys are great. You know, Rio hadn't had a winning football team um, from the inception of their school. And the athletic director um, was a guy named Jack Scott and his son, Tommy, that uh, had played for me at El Camino. So I would see him a lot. He'd come and watch practice and the games. And he kept mentioning to me, you know, the, this job's going to open up at at real we'd love to have you come over so uh what we did we made a decision i had a, a great staff was to take these kids off to santa cruz uh 10 days before we started practice and put them through a, a boot camp kind of let them know what hard work's like you know and uh it's a little different because those guys you know they they live. They lived a pretty good life over there. I, I used to tell them when we play in Old Grove, those guys are out milking the cows at six in the morning, and you're laying in bed, and your mom's fixing you buttermilk pancakes, you know. But we went down there, and we really developed a toughness with the kids, uh, conditioning them, and camaraderie, spending time, letting them talk about their life with each other, living together in the dorms, and so we did that for the seven years I was at Rio and I think it had a lot to do with uh, building up uh, a great uh, amount of respect for each other understanding each other and so we really and we were real blessed we had good kids like you said Trevor Manage and well we just God we, we we really had a lot of good kids we didn't have big kids either we were talking the other day our offensive line would be 180 pound guys you know but smart and well coached absolutely and you know, trevor manich of course played for byu 
then several NFL teams over a 12 or 13 year career, and now works with ESPN. Was probably one of the bigger names to come out of here, out of the Sacramento area, uh, football wise. Yes, without uh, a doubt. Uh, at that time, uh, and still working today. Uh, now, you also had the privilege of coaching your son, Greg. Yeah, and Greg was a really great football player. He was a great wrestler, and he uh, set a record at Rio with the most interceptions. Um, I think he had two or three against Jesuit um, and uh, was all league as a junior. It was a great opportunity at coaching your own kids because, uh, you know, it's, it, you get a chance to spend time at practice with them. You get to, and rather than having them practice at another school, which I had to deal with with, with Kevin, my older son. But uh, yeah, Greg was a great DB, and uh, and it was unfortunate that he got hurt his senior year, um, uh, and, and on the last play of a scrimmage before the season started, he was he tore up the ligaments in his knee, so it was kind of rough. But he he never missed a game; he was always on the sideline. And then I had a chance to Greg helped me coach the freshman team baseball team at Rio, and also uh, the Optimus game. He's coached with me for four years, and and along with Kevin. So they're all, I'm blessed. I got three great sons and very lucky, you know. There was a restaurant over at the corner of Garfield and Fair Oaks Boulevard, Jose's Mexican oh, restaurant, where yeah. you and a lot of the coaches would meet. I think it was weekly or bi-weekly. Or daily. Daily, <laughs> uh, sometimes as the case may be. Yeah, Bob Martinez owned that, that restaurant, and uh, his son, Ricky uh, played for me. He was a good, good player. He was outside linebacker, and uh, we we would go up there pretty much uh, regularly to have a taco and a and a cold coke or a beer or something like that, you know. But we we could meet up there, and Bob always liked to talk to us about football. But he was another uh, Raider supporter, and. Uh, part of the community up there is too bad they took that down that was a that was a landmark you know well it uh, it burned down yeah yeah, I, yeah. Uh, in fact uh, jose's mexican restaurant sponsored a softball team that i was on uh, back in the late 70s uh, al cervantes who was a yeah. neighbor of mine in rancho cordova knew bob yeah and so the rest was history and uh, jose sponsored us for a couple of years uh, uh, wonderful central meeting place it was it was a great it was a great spot and yeah, it was really good food too, and so yeah. I, I knew the guy that uh, bought it from Bob Larry, Larry um, uh, Neely. So Bill Neely, yeah, Bill he, Neely, yeah, he he was a good friend. He was a good buddy. Very sports oriented. Yes, we're back with Max Miller uh, talking football, baseball, Jose Eggs Mexican restaurant, and all <laughs> kinds of other things. I want to skip to the Hiram Johnson years. We had a lot of requests uh, for that. I know you, you were there for two seasons, 96 and 97. Uh, in 96, uh, I took note that you had lost your first two games, but then ran the table right up to the section championship game. You basically came out of nowhere after those first two games. Yeah. What was the turning point of that season? Well, I think the turning point uh... – there was a lot, Sarah, there was a lot, because those, those kids were really good kids. And um, uh, a lot of them, I would say more than half of them didn't even have a dad. You know, they lived with 
aunts and uncles and grandparents stuff. So I think the second day of practice, I told the kids, you know, um, I want you to uh, be back here at 1.30 and you guys go have lunch and I'll, I'll meet you back here at 1.30. So when I walked out of my office with our coaching staff, um, they were all sitting in the hallway with their backs, you know. And I said, hey, you guys, you need to go home and have lunch. And one of my coaches, Mike Reeves, said, hey, coach, they don't, they don't eat. You know, they, don't, they don't have a place to go. It's too far away. And I, I went, well, you got to be kidding me. So we packed them all up and uh, went down to uh, the restaurant, the, the, the little restaurant down on Folsom Boulevard. Uh, Steve DePrado's dad owned that place. I'm trying to think of the name of it. And we treated him to lunch. We had lunch there. And then we proceeded to uh, have our pregame meals there because uh, Mr. DePrado was so impressed with these boys. And I think, you know, they gained a lot of trust in us for what, because they knew we really cared. And then Art Benjamin was the principal. And when I told him about it, I mean, I think he knew. He, uh, started a breakfast program uh, in the summer, during summer school, uh, so the kids could have breakfast, and then we had a lunch program there too. So I think they knew we cared, and uh, we became real competitive. We got a lot more kids out as the season progressed. They saw we were having success. The kids liked our coaching staff, and they had athletes who just, you know. And we had, we had a thing. I mean, if, if we didn't end practice at, at 530, we couldn't practice very long. Um, the, the, a lot of them had to get on the bus right there on the corner of uh, the high school. They mm -hmm. didn't have cars. If you look at the Hiram Johnson parking lot, there's no cars in there, I guarantee you. And uh, so we get them on the bus, and we had, like, I had six, seven coaches on my staff, and we'd put four or five guys in a car and take them home, you know. But, uh, yeah, they had a great year, and they they, they lost to a great team. Uh, Elk Grove uh, was coached by Ed Lombardi then at the time, and, at that time, they didn't have a lot of schools in Elk Grove, and not what they have now. And boy, they were loaded. They and they they were always good games. We beat them the first round, but uh, I, you know, on paper they were they were a better team. Well, early in the season, after you lost those first two games, I was just looking here. You actually beat Jesuit, which was yeah, the defending we, Section One championship or champion, and uh, you you beat him twenty-one to fourteen. And in that game, you started a kid by the name of Robert Coleman. It was yeah, the first great. time that you started a sophomore in more than thirty years of coaching, and all he did was throw the winning touchdown. Yeah, he threw a screen pass to Hector Lopez, and and uh, or I'm sorry, Hector Galino. And it was a, it was a tight end screen uh, on right on the side. I can still remember the play on the um, on the on the Jesuit side of the field, right in front of him. And Hector <laughs> caught the ball. I remember watching the coaches when he just went zipping up the field about forty five yards for a touchdown. And our fans were pretty crazy because we beat Jesuit two years in a row. And yeah, but they were great games. Just you know, but Robert was a little dude. He was five seven. 130 pounds, you know, but he could play action pass guy and run the ball good. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, you, 
those games weren't blowouts by any stretch. No, none but, of our uh, games were. Uh, you also had uh, Josh Abera, uh, tough as nails, fullback yep. and, and nose guard on that ball club. Yeah, we, we had a great kicker that went to Sac State, Jimmy Sanchez. That's right. And uh, he was a great field goal kicker, and, and he won some ball games for us, probably more than any other kicker I had because we – we were really good on really good on defense. We weren't overwhelming on offense. We tried to control the ball as much as we could, but just a great group of kids, just you, great young men. You look at those teams, those ninety six and ninety seven teams, and how in the heck were you able to convince Mike Domino to come over as your defensive coordinator? You know, Mike, of course, the the son of the of the great Jim Domino, yeah. longtime baseball coach, but. You convinced him to come over. How did that happen? You know, Mike's, I've known him since he'd been a little kid when I was at El Camino, coaching with his dad. And uh, Mike's a great coach. Holy cow, he's just a super, super coach. And uh, so he called me and he says, hey, coach, I'd really be interested in coaching if you you got an opening. And I said, well, why don't you come over to my house and we'll talk, you know. And we talked. And then the second time, he came over in his, his uh, highway patrol car, and I was I live in Gold River. You know, he's ringing his siren, and I go, God, I wonder who, 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 who somebody died in the neighborhood, you know, and it's, he, th- he was joking, but, I mean, you don't do that, you know. So uh, he's, a, he's a great coach, and that's where it really, like I said, we were so good on defense. Yeah, he was he's a, a great CSP coach. sergeant, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm not sure. He spent yeah. a lot of years. He was a great guy, but he's a great football coach. And, you know, I had Eric Cavalier who became the head coach up at Oak Ridge. He was uh, our receiver coach right out of Davis. He was uh, uh, doing his student teaching at Johnson. And uh, I I just had a great staff. Mike Reef was with our offense and the rest of it. We just had a bunch of great guys. And and then so when I left to go back to Cordova, um, I, I said, Mike, why don't you take this job? Because it was, you know, he's a highway patrolman. He's not a teacher. He's not on campus. And, uh, but I knew, as I told the principal, I said, you, you don't have to worry about him making time to be here and do the right things, which he did. And he continued the tradition at Johnson before he went to Del Campo. Mm-hmm. I guess Domino, too, also spent time at Miraloma, which I believe may have been his last assignment before you, uh, before you convinced him. Uh, to come over with you. Yeah, I think he was. He was coaching yeah, with his buddy Terry Stark. Terry Stark, uh, quarterback of the wing tee yep. when yeah. Terry played. Yeah. Under That's Jerry Cundert, I believe. Yeah. 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 He and Don Brown. Yep. Uh, Don Brown, another another legendary name. That game against Jesuit, uh, I was looking back. And in fact, I remembered some of it. You sacked your defense. And here again, uh, uh, Domino's team, Domino's defense, sacks JT, JT O'Sullivan seven times. He'd been sacked three times prior to that game all season. Yeah, when we looked at film, we felt um, – because the guy could go deep with the ball, you know, and we just didn't want to give him time. And most of the guys were trying to cover him, which they did, but, I mean, he had great receivers too. So Mike said, hey, what do you think about just going after his buns and, you know, do I said, hey – just when you go after him, you better let's get to him because if, if he has any extra time and gets outside our containment, we're in trouble. But now we had him running for his life. It was a great game. It was a great day. Well, you had Jabari Block, I think, had three of those sacks. Uh, Johnny Nolan, another converted safety that 
that Domino uh, put into uh, at linebacker, and Andy Hunter was kind yeah, of a Andy, Roman. Yeah, those were great linebackers, and Johnny Nolan was also a great running back for us. He was our tailback, and uh, it was a hot day there. And you're going both ways. Our kids were going both ways. It was, it was quite a day. You had a tough defensive line too. In fact, defense on on both of those teams, both those years, was really your hallmark. You mm-hmm. had some offense, but never uh, some of those defenses. Guy named uh, uh, Kenji Sanders. Oh, he was David tough. Van Hook was huge. Yeah, those guys were great players. Uh, Eric Strike. Yeah. Uh, the the king of the batter ball. I think he batted down six passes. In yeah. three games, uh, I, I gotta, I gotta have you write all this stuff down. You got better memory than I do. Well, yeah. I, I have the, I'm blessed with research. That's yeah. the wonders of the internet, Coach. I can't remember all of it either. <laughs> you know, they, they were such um, dedicated kids and very coachable. And of course, uh, the guys on our defense were really demanding and very, very, very good coaches, and they. They they learned a lot. They 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 listened and worked hard. Domino also had high praise for uh, Bradford Kennedy and, and Rashawn Anderson. Yeah, uh, great, these great. were uh, two kids that uh, were linebacker uh, linebackers yep. and also played corner. Uh, it, you know, and the list goes on. In '97, you had a great ball club again. Yeah, you went out, went ten and two that year, won the Metro League, uh, losing only to Grant and once again Elk Grove. Yeah, uh, those games, defense was your hallmark. Yeah, your home games drew six and seven thousand fans a game. Yeah, that was unheard of for Hiram Johnson at that point. Yeah, and that and that field was the parents were so good they come out and work on the field. Um. They, they, those kids, I don't know if they've been over to Johnson recently, but they got a nice field turf now and a press box and yes. nice bleachers. And, yeah, the, the parents, they just, they were, the, the stands weren't built during that time to hold probably more than four or 500. And so they were on the hill and around the, st- around the track. Um, but uh, Robert Coleman, our quarterback, his, his dad, uh, was kind of like Ken Simons was for me at, at, at Rio. He was a big, big supporter, and he'd get out and get parents together, and they got raked, raked the golfer holes. I don't know where those golfers came from. Uh, the river's a long ways away, but they liked Johnson's football field. They I heard that. about the gophers. Some Somebody said they came in from a local golf course. I don't know if there's <laughs> any around there, but uh, the gophers were a problem. They were a problem. But, yeah, they, you know, in, in the second year, because of our success the first year, we got a lot of kids uh, to come out for football that in the past didn't have the interest or, you know, they just didn't see the excitement that was going on at the school. So we, we had a good turnout for, for football and built up the freshman program, which they didn't have, and the JV program. So they were, they were really good. And so when I left, you know, Mike continued the tradition there. They 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 won another two championships, I I believe. Right. Do you think the success? I mean, kind of an obvious question, but coming into a program like a Johnson, so much different from Rio, and of course Cordova, yeah, yeah. And El Camino. I mean, you really you talk about the four seasons of athletics. You hit them all with yeah. with those schools. Coming into a program like Johnson that hadn't experienced that kind of success, 
you had mentioned that you were adding players as the season went on because of the success. Yeah. yeah. That's unusual. Yeah, it really is because they got to spend 10 days in practice, you know, uh, before they're even eligible to play. So there, there were a couple of kids. Uh, uh, they always had a pretty good basketball team. And we, we, we've, we knew that a lot of their players were, could be good defensive backs. You know? One of the games that uh, McClatchy you went up against at the time was one of the top teams in the area. They were averaging 25 points. You guys held them to six. Mm-hmm. Kenji Sanders and George Randall. Uh, McClatchy had a quarterback named Howie Correa, yeah, he and he limited him to 150 yards and sacked him five times that night. Yeah, yeah, we had all we pr- pretty much put our best, fastest guys on defense because we knew we were limited offensively. And uh, but like I said, we also had a great. We really were good on special teams with Sanchez as a punter and field goal kicker and. I think we got we got great mileage out of that out of those two teams. Do you still talk to Ed Lombardi? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ed's moved up to Oregon. He's up in Forest Grove. Uh huh. We've always been good friends. Sure, we've always been sure. good friends. But uh, even uh, uh, I'm not a big uh, believer in seven on seven in the summer. Uh, pretty competitive guys get hurt, but the the one team we always would go against, and Ed was the same way. It was Elk Grove at the end of at the end of summer. We had a seven on seven game. But, um, man, he's a, he's a great coach. He's a great friend. He helped me out at Rio when I went back there with coach, my grandson. And yeah, Lombardi's one of the best coaches that could ever come out of Elk Grove. Oh uh, yeah. Sacramento. A lot of coaches put a lot of emphasis on strong non-league opponents. Mm-hmm. You had that at Cordova and I was noticing on your schedule at Rio. How, how critical is that uh, to, to put those tough non-league opponents uh, on your schedule? Well, I think uh, it, it's really important to get your kids prepared mentally and, and toughness because if you're playing really good teams, they they got to get better each week. And what's most important is winning the league championship. You know, as you go back into the 70s, um, you, you know, to get even to play for the city championship, to get in those, you had to win the, the league. Right. And today... You you do if your records for I saw teams this year with four and four and six records it because of their their league or whatever they got into the playoffs but right it's a lot that, different now yeah back back in those days you either won the league or you were done you mentioned Steve DePrado long time uh, well he was he coached at Elk Grove High School when one particular year in 1984 his team won the section after losing their first four games mm-hmm. all of them were tough non-league opponents and DePrado told me you got to schedule the Atwaters uh, of, of the world which at the time was a was Big a tough time. fight yeah Balkler Merced and Merced they they lost all four of them ended up running the table and winning the section. Steve pointed to those four non-league losses as the key to winning the section. And I know that, like I said, you had some tough non-league opponents too to prepare the teams. Yeah. Well, traditionally at, uh, at Rio and at Cordova, we always uh, opened with Christian brothers. And that was always a big game. That was the biggest rivalry going, you know, it was a big time game and both, uh, both schools, um, and Christian brothers knew what important that game was. I mean, it was, it was big, big, big. I, I remember one time 
We opened up with uh, Christian Brothers, and my wife and I were having dinner at the Pheasant Club because I was nervous the night. It was a Friday. We're playing Cordova at Cordova. And we sat down to have dinner, and the waitress came up to me, and, and she brought me a bottle of Christian Brothers wine. <laughs> and I, I looked around, and it was Tisdale and Father John, and they were laughing. And I, I told the waitress, I'll send this back. To him, I don't drink Christian Brothers wine. And I say, but buy him a bottle of Lancers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, and I say, it was. I'm telling you what, I, I was. It, it was such a great era of rivalry games, you know. And and but Cordova and Christian Brothers and Rio and Christian Brothers, that was big. Yeah, of course, Cor uh, Jesuit and Christian Brothers, oh. the Holy Bowl was oh, always. Yeah, you know, packed I saw Rio and Jesuit was big. Those are down down the street neighbors, you know, and that was really a big game. You had a great coach, a uh, great coaching career, Max, and uh, we're here with Max Miller. You also coached the Pig Bowl back oh, in yeah, 1979. I uh, coached great. the police team, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, I had the police, and uh, probably one of the greatest experiences I ever had in my life uh, working with those guys. I. I thought they were, they came up to me and talked to me about, hey, coach, would you be interested in coaching a pig bowl game? And I I knew about it because in those days they publicized it pretty good, you know, TV and Sacramento Bee. And I said, yeah, I think it'd be fun. And uh, our superintendent at, at um, San Juan School District approved them to be able to practice at, 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 and use our facilities at Rio. So, I mean, that that was, uh, we played that one first year. We beat the um, sheriffs for the, for the first time. Right. But there were 31,000 people there at Hughes Stadium. It's oh, the yes. biggest crowd ever. And uh, it was neat because we had, we had breakfast uh, the day of the game and police escort. We were two big buses driving to Hughes Stadium. I thought, geez, this is like the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? It really was for many years. Oh, my gosh. It was, uh, it was the Super Bowl here in town. Always look forward. Now they call it, I think, guns and hoses. But yeah. back then, you would get twenty five, thirty thousand. 30,000 oh, yeah. uh, for the Pig Bowl, uh, which, which was fabulous. And I would be remiss not to talk about the Sacramento Buffaloes. Now, oh. all I, a, a lot of what I remember of the Buffaloes is they came out in these black and yellow uniforms yep. that kind of looked like the old-style Pittsburgh Steelers. Yep, exactly. Uh, but you coached the Buffaloes. You had a quarterback by the name of Larry Warman. Yeah, he was a great player. Uh, your theme song was Another One Bites the Dust by Queen that came blaring over the loudspeakers. <laughs> How in the heck did you land this gig? I, I don't think I did. I think it was Guy. Guy Anderson was our announcer. And uh, he was in he was in seventh heaven being able to announce a, a semi-pro football game, you know. And, uh, God, we had great players from all over the United States. They came in and flew in the airport. And my buddy Dave Hotel, who was the head coach at Sac High then, he would always go to the airport and pick the kids up the players from these different colleges hoping to get in the NFL. And we housed them at the Mansion Inn downtown and the uh, Wood Lake Inn. We had two hotels that were uh, supporters in terms of, uh, you know, um, housing these guys because 
they didn't make any yeah. money. For we tried, our listeners, tried to... the Sacramento Buffaloes, we can call them a semi-pro football team. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, uh, Rod Lung McKenzie was the uh, mid-30s owner of the team. He was a local attorney in town, and he, he was also your fullback. Yeah. How he, did that he, work? He, yeah, he, well, he, he was our fullback for a while until we got another guy, you know. But uh, Rod was a big advocate of trying to bring pro football to Sacramento. He's a good guy. And he, and he, he played high school football up at uh, El Dorado high school. And, uh, it, it was, uh, it was an interesting thing. Cause I just had, a, I, again, I had, it was summer football. Uh, we played at Sac state and, uh, we, we played against some really good, well-coached teams that, cause the NFL was on strike. So guys like, Bill Walsh was at San Jose, and Vermeil was at Napa. Carson Vermeil um, uh, got his career started at Napa. You know, Napa right. High Dick School. Dick Vermeil, long time Philadelphia Napa Eagles Junior coach. College. Yeah. So yeah, we played some great teams. Uh, Los Angeles had a good team, and yeah, and, the Los Angeles Mustangs. In fact, you guys went ten and zero. You won the league yeah, championship. Yeah, we year. won the league. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was sure interesting because these these guys, they were great. we had to practice at Consumers College, which was quite a ways from um, where they were living, or if they had a job. I we tried to get them all of them a job, uh, doing something because they. But their main idea, uh, it's just like that league that started now the U.S. the United States Football League USFL. Yeah, but of course that's way more organized and TV contracts and all that kind of stuff. But these guys really sacrificed because they they had dreams of getting in the NFL, you know. And I'm not really sure if we really. I don't think we really ever had a player that was an NFL guy. To be honest with you, you had a bunch of guys from Galt who build themselves as the country boys. Yeah. Like Charlie Comer, Tony Allen, Charlie Cruz. Yeah. I mean, Coach, if there was a football version of the Portland Mavericks, this was it. <laughs> and they were funny. One day we were playing, at, we were practicing at Consumers River, and we had three big defensive linemen from Texas. They were big dudes. And uh hotel used to run those guys, and they can't run. They're 300-pounders. And I told him, I said, hey, just sit up on the hill at, at the college there and tell Hotel you're on strike. I just want to see how he reacts. Hotel says, Miller, those three guys from Texas are refusing to practice today. I'm going home early. And I said, oh, no, no. I told him to do that. And he, was, he started laughing, and they came walking down the hill. But, gosh, we had fun with them because they were – God, they were they, – they didn't want to make – any problems because they wanted a chance to get in, you know, and you know we uh, Marysville had a real good team, and Dick Spurbeck was the coach, right? And uh, mm -hmm. they they were really good. They they had a really good team. I'm looking at this program here uh, <clears throat> from the Buffaloes, 1981, which again is a pro style program. Big giant snorting buffalo on the front cover, which yeah. is interesting. Looking at the uh, the game announcers, Guy Anderson was your stadium announcer. Yeah. And Larry Elliott was the play-by-play -play guy. Oh, KGNR. Yeah. Uh, that's he the goes old, back, uh, 8 you know. 8 a.m. 1320. Yeah. Stu Brody did commentary. Yeah. Uh, they were big-time guys, you know, and they th they just loved it. And then uh, our main one of our main sponsors was Buffalo Chips. 
and they had the best uh, potato chips in the world. And I, 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 I wish they were still in business because I love those uh, buffalo chips. I remember that. Yes. Oh, they were the best. The, if not the running club, we're talking about the potato chip company. The potato chip company in Rancho Cordova. It was a uh, hard, crispy shell potato oh. chip that had flavoring on one side oh. or some such thing. But uh, there was a van uh, that used to go around town that had buffalo chips on the side of a guy yeah. driving personally delivery your your buffalo chip potato chips. Yeah, Bobby Matthews drove that van. Bobby he Matthews. A good, that's he, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, he he loved promoting. You know, he wear wears buffalo uh, hat, buffalo bill hat. You know, great group of guys. Just a great summer of uh, being able to coach football it was a lot of fun. And you had, uh, just like Real Americana High School, you had sponsors galore. This is a, this program, I mean, you've got the Mansion Inn, of course, that's yeah. your headquarters uh, on the back. Uh, you, you've got uh, Rod McGinnis Chiropractic, which was famous, McKenzie and Brody, attorneys at law. Of course, that's Rod McKenzie. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, here he is, the bearded wonder himself. That was a fun time. Those games... We had at a later iteration the uh, Sacramento Bu or, uh, Mountain Lions years and yeah. years later yeah. played over at Sac State. Right. Yeah. Denny, Denny, Denny Green was coaching then. Right. Yeah. yeah he coached. Uh, uh, but uh, they had a lot more money than, than we had when I, when it was, than the Buffaloes did. Well, I remember the Mountain Lions had a contract. That league had a contract with the USA Sports Network. Oh, the USA okay. that's, Network. That's they'd, good. They'd come up. They had. Uh, Flo Rida, the oh. uh, rap group, come in to do halftime shows. In fact, Flo Rida, it, they, he'd come up into the stands and serenade the crowd. That's awesome. And every time a mountain lion touchdown, uh, the PA announcer would, touchdown, Molos, and then the fireworks would go off. And uh, But the Buffaloes games were really kind of a precursor to that in many respects, like the Sacramento Smokies were to baseball. Oh, yeah. They played they over at Renfrey Field. Yeah. And then another quite story, too, Renfrey. I, I mean, so many great years of baseball. And every time I drive down Auburn Boulevard and I see Renfrey Field, and it's just, it looks like a cornfield, you know, and the weeds are four feet high. And it's sad because the kids in the 60s and 70s and mid-80s, they couldn't wait to go play a game out there. It really is sad. I have driven by it, too. I don't know what the city plans on doing with it, but that was the site of many, that was the many end great result. games. That's where you wanted to go. You That's know? right. And uh, I can remember Rick Vanderpool of Cordova oh. hitting a couple of home runs out to right center. One of them beat Mariloma, and it was uh, yeah, all the greats. Butch Edge pitched there. Yeah. Uh, Leron yeah. Lee hit a ball against us in the playoffs, and I can still – Remember the Coca-Cola sign out in left field that went over there? Might have hit the freeway. It was it was the longest hit ball I've ever seen in my life. I don't, they never found that ball either. I, I don't know if it hit the freeway and kept rolling or what. It's probably still going, Coach. I think so, yeah. When the uh, Smokies played, the actor, Timothy Busfield, was mm. a relief pitcher for them. Yeah. And I had to take my daughter. This is after the movie – Feel the Dreams came oh, out. Okay, he still came out and pitched a couple of innings. You'd see him maybe two or three times, but he had a red Mustang. Oh, yeah. and my daughter at the time was six, and so she liked the red Mustang. Not necessarily who was pitching and who the owner was, but they would go across the street to the Dairy Queen. 
mm-hmm. and Busfield and some of the players and, and have an ice cream. Oh, you know, awesome. Local actor, of course, uh, Timothy Busfield, Sacramento, uh, but was in the field, movie Field of Dreams. It's that kind of thing. People see these stars and they're just regular folks. Well, I, I'm telling you, I remember playing at Renfrew in the playoffs and uh, people talk about the playoff games where they should play it. Should we play at the Rivercat Stadium or Sac City? But w- w- that championship game that was played out there at Renfrew, there were people packed all the way around the, the field, all the way. The, sta- the stands were full. People were standing, on the, uh, standing next to the fence going down the left field and right field line and in the outfield. It was, it was a great, it was a great venue and a, a great place to see good high school baseball. You know? it, it, it was. And some of those uh, Grant Cordova, Grant Miraloma oh, baseball games yeah. were epic. Uh, Len Frizzy was their longtime public address announcer. Great Len uh, was over from Miraloma high school. He was yep. a teacher out there, very beloved. And he really set the tone in the way that he called a game. Yeah, and I, and the, and the old typical umpires, Hank Delotti, uh <laughs> loved to be behind the plate. And trying to remember his buddy. Um, I, re- <clears throat> I remember Chini, Piacentini. That's right. He he coached the he umpired the bases. Those two guys, Mutt and Jeff, they they were they were pals. Well, Delotti, when he'd call balls and strikes behind the dish. Yeah. You knew it was a ball and strike by the way he would call. Oh, yeah, he'd give it a yell. But I'll, I'll never forget Delati going back to football in a uh, Cordova-Miraloma uh, playoff game. He called it. He marched off a 20-yard penalty against oh. Miraloma. The fans were on him about this, but Hank would have none of it. Oh, no, he liked he liked the attention. Yeah. He was a good guy. He, he passed away, but he was just a wonderful guy, really. He did pass away. I'm sorry to hear that. He was he was a, a colorful. Uh, he was, and he and he loved kids, and he loved he loved being out on that field. Um, all those umpires, uh, football officials back in the in the 70s and 80s were really really good guys, and we were lucky at Cordova because it was a Saturday. All the other guys were been playing Friday, so. We always got cream of the crop officials. They, they you know, we they they might have worked Friday night, but they wanted to work the Cordova game because our our uh, parents always took care of them with hot dogs and cokes, and we set them up in the locker room. I always got accused of kissing the umpires, you know, uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean the official football officials, but I didn't. I mean they, we wanted to take care of them. They were good guys. And they were committed to the officials back Big then, time. not to take anything away from uh, the officials to, to, of today, certainly, but the ones back then were committed folks. They were professional, everything that they, they were did. Just, uh, they were great guys, and they talked to the kids, too. I mean, if a guy was holding, they'd say, hey, 77, you're holding. Yeah, I'm going to give you a break, but you continue to do that. We're, you know, I'm going to tell Coach Miller because uh, he wants to know, and uh, – they kept the game clean. They were good. They were they were all that way. We're back with Max Miller in our fi- final minutes. I want to hard to believe, Coach. We, we're just about hit yet another hour. Wow, uh, shocking! Your career, four different high schools, the Pig Bowl, the Optimist uh, game, the Sacramento Buffaloes. Is there another step for Max Miller? 
Oh, I think I'm I'm good at watching these games now. You know, I I enjoy watching the games and going to the games with my kids and grandkids and you know, it, it's uh it's the your career goes so fast. You know, you you get started and boom, pretty soon it's over and uh I'm just lucky to have a job that I really loved because I know lots of people um uh, go to work every day and hate it. And that's just, I, I can't imagine. But, uh, and I love teaching. I hear, from, I hear from my former students a lot too. So, and like a guy, just being in the right place at the right time, that old statement, you know, and having well, fun. I think there's a little more to it than that. One other final question. If you were to impart one piece of wisdom on a new coach, what would that be? Well, uh, I would surround yourself with good help, number one. Be very, very careful about the assistants that, uh, that you hire and spend a lot of time with them and, and coach them up, coach your coaches. Uh, make sure that your administration understands your philosophy and goals. Get out and visit the faculty. Let them know that you want to know if their kids are uh, messing up in the classroom you really truly want to know and spend time with their parents have meetings with the parents and and let them know i mean you gotta you gotta love these guys treat them like your sons when they get it's not all uh ice cream days you know it's a lot of these kids have problems and find out why you know and and spend spend time with the kids um not just on the football field but after practice if they're having a bad day, call them in your office before they go home or maybe give them a ride home and talk to them and find out what, what's going on. Because, you know, I, I learned a long time ago that not every kid has a computer. Not every kid has a car. Not every kid gets three meals a day. Not every kid has five different shirts to wear during school. Not every kid has, a, a, a you know, pencils and all that kind of stuff. They just don't. So help them out. Find a way to help them out. And but if you don't, if you're not willing to put the time in, because uh, it's it's not just coaching football. It's it's working with the kids' lives. And better have some empathy, because uh, I spent a lot of time crying. I'll tell you. I would. I can only imagine. Essentially, being a surrogate father. Oh yeah, and and you know it's uh, uh it's just. You're so lucky because every kid doesn't have a dad, doesn't have a mom, you know, and um, you just have to be able to help them get through that. And um, and be well if you if you don't, I'll tell you right now if you don't have any empathy and feelings uh, for people, um, then you I don't think you can get through coaching because. You got to have it. You got to put your arm around a kid when he misses a field goal. Imagine how, how he feels. You know, I just got a call the other day from Jason Savorn. <laughs> it's funny, he had a scholarship to San Diego State, but when he missed that field goal against Roseville in the playoffs, I, he, he, I can't imagine how he felt, you know? And, uh, but I, he was walking by me. I can still remember when he called me. He said, he's the best field goal kicker you ever had, you know. And I said, yeah, Jason, I know it's you. And, and I grabbed him and hugged him, and he brought that up. Uh, the other night when he called me, he says, Coach, you know, here I miss a field goal. 
win the section championship. And uh, you just grabbed me and said, don't worry about it. And I said, what are you, you going to worry about? You give it your best shot, you know? So, I don't know. It's just, it's a wonderful life. People don't understand. And I don't understand uh, how, how you could spend those kind of hours with kids. But Well, you, you certainly did for many different schools, many programs, but they all had one thing in common, you and success. Coach, thanks for coming back for part two. This yeah, is great. Part two was great. And uh, thanks again to all the players and parents and administrators and teachers for helping me in my career. You're all right. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, Coach. Thank you.